Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. My guest on this week's show is best known for his roles in comedies like Knocked Up, Tropic Thunder, and my personal favorite, This is the End. Are you mad at me, man? If I was pissed at you, I'm sure it'd have something to do with the fact that I had no interest in coming to this house socially. And now I am barricaded in here with a bunch of people that I really hate. Maybe this was meant to be. Maybe this horrible, horrible, deadly earthquake happened so we could become closer as a group of friends. I don't need a group. I'm like DMX, man. I'm a lone wolf. DMX isn't a lone wolf. DMX as the Rough Rider crew. You can't stop, drop, and open up shop alone. You need people to help you in an earthquake disaster situation. It was something else. It was Judgment Day. Like Terminator 2? No, not like Terminator 2, for Skynet? God's sakes. You think this is Skynet? No. Skynet went live? Will you please stop saying Skynet? Well, you're the one who's a Judgment Day. The biblical Judgment Day. <sighs> what? That's crazy. <laughs> This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Jay Baruchel playing himself opposite Seth Rogen in This Is The End. As I said at the top, Jay is mostly known for comedy. But his latest role as the man who invented the Blackberry in a new movie called Blackberry is a new look for him. It is very funny at times, but it's also a pretty intense drama and allows him to show more sides of himself than he ever has before. And Jay has been doing this for a long time. In addition to his latest project, we talk in this episode about how Judd Apatow cast him as the lead in the short-lived Fox sitcom Undeclared after seeing his bit part in Almost Famous, and how he became an integral part of the Apatow universe in Knocked Up and later This Is The End. Jay also shares stories from the sets of Tropic Thunder, his excellent and underrated FX show Man Seeking Woman, and the upcoming Netflix series FUBAR starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. So let's get into it. Here's me with Jay Baruchel. Thanks for doing this. I'm I'm really excited to talk to you because I've loved your work for so long and I really enjoyed the new film Blackberry. I thought it was great. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And thank you. Thank you for the kind words as well about uh, the other shit. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Um, the film is is so interesting because it's, it's, it's sort of a drama. It's not a comedy, but there is a lot of humor in it. It really feels like a drama made by people who understand comedy and that and that all drama kind of needs comedy to make it work in some ways um is that that tonal stuff part of what appealed to you yeah i think matt johnson yeah uh, directed it co-wrote it co-stars in it um i've been a fan of his for a long time and uh i he and i are sort of 
I think ideologically aligned um, when it comes to movies. You know, we have a lot of the same ideas about kind of movies. And um, I think one of the things that I was a fan of is, um, you know, his two previous uh, films kind of live in this uncomfortable gray area somewhere between uh yeah like scripted and documentary and and comedy and drama and i think his sort of i think his his big theory his big idea is that like uh you know most shit is probably both in some way you know that that like life is an inherently ridiculous proposition and you know people caring about something deeply and working hard um is inherently funny and uh, you know and so and i also think that informed in a big way by an inherent function of being canadian which is uh you you are expected from birth to always be self-deprecating and to always take the <laughs> piss out of yourself and uh, uh you know and so when you sort of zoom out at a kind of national level um you know that that explains a kind of presence in a lot of important shit but an anonymity <laughs> you know and i and i like anyway so i dug the whole thing because the story is compelling and stressful and um you know and, and kind of inspiring um but it's also like preposterous and it is you know a bunch of nerds over a diner in 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 kishner waterloo who like changed the world what's not funny about all that <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like throughout the movie, you're really having to ride that line between the, the comedy and drama. I mean, one example is that great scene where you're rehearsing the negotiation to sh uh, sell a large part of BlackBerry and you're kind of you're very nervous, even just in the in the practice negotiation. And even that doesn't <laughs> go very well. Um, so uh, um, we've been talking here and we we. Um, we would like to make a counteroffer. You came crawling back, like bugs, like grubs. Yep. Um, so, we would like to offer you 10% for $500,000. Are you out of your fucking mind? I look at 100,000 deals a day. I pick one. Is that the quote? No, I look at 100 deals a day. I pick one. Wall Street. Uh, okay. Uh, what, um, uh, 25% for 250,000. 50% for 50 bucks. 33% for 125,000, and you can run the company with me. Mike, no, no! We yes, deal, deal. Okay. Easy. Terrible. So can you talk about that scene or, or, or scenes like that where you're sort of finding the humor in a, in a situation um, that might not be funny if it was being told in a, in a different way. Yeah. Or might be too kind of goofy if it was told another way as well, you know, like that, this was something that MJ and I talked about kind of very early was um, robbing me of all of my, like what could be described as crutches. Um, the nice way to say it is like comfort zones, I guess. Um, but like, you know, I've been on set every year since 1995. So you, 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 de one develops habits when, you know, athletes do a thing their way, everybody kind of finds their way in and that's your thing. And, and I, you know, and so we thought the, the effort to mitigate that, to kind of like, you know, in other words, me trying to figure out 
having to put my hands and not being allowed to like move them about, you know, just, just that, that, that would, that would is, create is that, a kind is of, that one of your crutches? Oh, it absolutely is. I, I, you know, I gesticulate quite a bit and I, and I make a lot of muggy fucking faces and anyway, there's a bunch of shit that like, you know, we were like the, the effort to suppress that will create an interesting tension. That would be a fun baseline to start from, you know, and, and kind of playing defense against anything that I was familiar with with or comfortable doing and because mike as expressed in the screenplay and in our movie is sort of at odds in every ecosystem that isn't just his lab you know and and so that kind of on that that discomfort and that sort of being um you know beaten down by by the world shit um but also being having a capacity for singular brilliance um you know that the sort of me not knowing what to do with my hands thing would be a good drunken first step in that direction <laughs> and uh you know when you you talk about the scene the scene you mentioned specifically like well I can, I can say this now because it's after and and we all get along super good but yeah like Matt and i had a big argument or at least i got mad at him when we were shooting that scene yeah because like you know he at one point he just said like okay now you're having too much fun with it you know, like I was sort of, I don't know, like you, you, you do a scene a bunch of times. And for me, I try to find a color that I didn't find the last time. And I just, so, so, so I'll do, you know, and so in, in broad, like broad, less annoying terms, it's just like, you know, you do one super small, you do one super big, you do one kind of seriously, you do one kind of more funny ish, you know, whatever. And I try to, you know, find a bunch of stuff because I also know that that kind of gives them more uh, wiggle room in the edit to kind of craft an interesting performance out of more than just kind of living on just one take, relying on just one take. You can make a fun Frankenstein of, of, of all these different kind of colors, you know? Um, and he said, you know, you're having too much fun. And I was like, well, so fucking what? Like you're going to do seven <laughs> takes no matter what, like, and, and you, and each of your takes is actually four takes contained within it. You know, you just let the camera ride and like, you know, you're, I was like, you're making every fucking joke. You're you're hang, you're plucking every low hanging <laughs> bit of low hanging fruit. Like, yeah, you know, let get, give me the space to do it. Know that I'll always end up jamming with you and doing the thing you asked me to do. But let me paint as well. Um, but then it was also just me being crabby and it being hour eleven on a Friday of the first week. You know, where I just never had my sea legs once. Um, but also he should, he should have just let me fucking ad lib and make up a bunch <laughs> of bullshit for a sec. Yeah, it's interesting that that Matt Johnson decided to cast you and Glenn Howerton, two actors who are primarily known for comedy to, to play these um, heavier roles that I think both of you are used to playing. Um, and you have some very intense scenes with, with Glenn's character um, as well. Uh, yeah. What did that, what did that feel like for you? And even just you and him together, sort of both doing this new thing, not necessarily new, but different than yeah. what you're used to doing. Yeah. I think it's like, I think it's more it's different than what people are used to seeing or not so much different than we're used to doing. Like that was something, you know, cause like Glenn's a, a Juilliard graduate, you know? And, and I, I always, I said for a long time that like in Canada, I'm an actor in the States. I do like, I'm in funny movies, I guess, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so like, Oh, I would always, I just like, I like different kinds of shit. I like to do different kinds of shit. And, so these are like, th this is shit I think people maybe haven't seen. A lot of people haven't seen me do, but I, it's also not, it's also, 
it's an arena that I've played in a little bit before. I mean, I've never created this or played this character because this is only this movie. There's only this movie. Um, but in terms of like doing some sort of dramatic kind of heavy lifting, like it, it's all the same shit, by the way, I think. Um, I, I think it's all it's all um, presence and uh, and focus and responsibility and 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 truth, you know, and and being the sort of steward of the narrative that that the script and the movie needs you to be whatever it needs you to be that you know like you just gotta you gotta hold up your bit of it whatever that is you know and sometimes that's like a serious thing sometimes that's a funny thing sometimes that's you know being the person that like talks the third most but you've got it whatever instrument they've given you or whatever piece of the burden is yours to kind of shoulder uh during the scene you know um the job isn't the same if it's a comedy or a drama, you know? And so, um, for, for every kind of heavy moment that I think maybe, you know, Glenn and I might have hopefully stuck the landing on, um, I promise you there were a bunch of fucking goofy versions of it that we did on the day. Mike? Hi. There are three reasons why people buy our phones. Do you know what they are? For email. They fucking work. Yeah, okay. It's not us, Jim. It's the carrier. Verizon is doing something weird. Okay, well, I'm about to do something weird if you don't fix this. Now! Um... The deal I... was, I get the engineers, I... you shrink the data! Are you, are, you, are you selling more phones? What the hell do you think I've been doing over here, Mike? We're in the middle of a hostile fucking takeover! Why did you have somebody babysit you, dork? Okay, okay. So that's... Okay. Uh, yeah, the entire system is crashing. He's selling more phones. Hey, God damn it! Do you feel like it was an accident of sorts or that you stumbled into being known for comedy and that being the thing, you know, at least in the States that really you're known for? Oh, God. I, I think like, you know, I, I, I got my, my first gigs were kind of that. And, and, and then I kept getting kind of more gigs off of that, you know, but what also like, I get my ass kicked pretty brutally in Million Dollar Baby. And it's like, you know, so I. I've been doing both shit the whole time, I guess, just like, um, and, and I, and I don't want to say accident or anything because like, I'm, I have no regrets really about, you know, I wish maybe I hadn't done the, like, come in my pants scene and she's out of my league or whatever. But, uh, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, um, but for the most part, I'm, I, I don't have any regrets, but yeah, I think it just was like, it's a bit of circumstance of like my whole way in to LA was via, you know, kind of comedy and being part of a, I hate words like scene, so I'll say posse, but part of a group of people that would go on to kind of help craft the very vocabulary of on-screen comedy in the States for the next, for the generation to come, you yeah, know, like, definitely. If you, you know, like a, a cursory Google of the like writers and directors and actors on, on Declared, um, which all the first people I knew in LA, um, all of them have gone on to make the sort of like biggest kind of flashpoints comedically in American, you know, in, in sort of modern American history. And so, or a lot of them anyway. So, so yeah, I think it's just like, that was my way in probably. Yeah. I mean, she's out of my league aside. You, you've been in some pretty incredible comedies and, and worked with some, some great people. And I think obviously it kind of all starts with uh, Judd Apatow at the beginning with undeclared. Um, 
what was the what was the story behind you becoming the lead in that show? Because you were not, you know, well known at that time. That was your that was definitely your first major role uh, in the states. Um, how did that happen? Yeah, and I wanted to preface it by saying I love she's out of my league. I just don't love the come. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it happened because um, first uh, Cameron Crowe kind of discovered me, plucked me out of Canada, and put me in two scenes in Almost Famous. And when I was like in grade eleven, it's uh, it's, it's all happening. They're here. Ze- Zeppelin are here. They are here. They're they're at the the plaza. S- Sapphire and uh, and Miss Penny Lane are uh, are are there too. They're all staying under the name Emily Rugburn. Wait, Penny Lane is here. Emily Rugburn. And off of that, I know that. Um, the casting director, uh, I think it was Allison Jones, was casting what would go on to be called Undeclared. Um, like, I, I guess I blipped on her radar off of those two scenes. But, okay, let's, it's a it's a story that, like, I don't think a lot of people have because it just doesn't happen like this typically. But, like, I was literally just, like, I think I was, like, playing Metal Gear Solid in my sister's bedroom and the, like, phone rang. And I knew it was long distance because... Back in the day, long distance used to have its own ring. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I knew, so so I answered, and it was, you know, it's so and so from Allison Jones casting in Los Angeles. So I was like, what the fuck? And um, we we saw you in Almost Famous, and we think you would be good. We're, we're curious if you'd like to audition for this show called The Untitled Judd Apatow Project. Um, like, yeah, fuck, of course. I did. You, you know, did you like, know who Jed Apatow was at that point? Yeah, like I, because I was a movie nerd, I like recognized his name immediately. Like I couldn't tell you what it was that I knew him from, but I knew his name from shit. And then I right away went on IMDb. I was like, oh shit, of course. Like, um, Celtic Pride and uh, and Heavyweights and uh, and the Cable Guy. And I, I just like I had seen. I re- I remember it being a name, like. <laughs> Just like Lawrence Kasdan, it was just like a name that I had seen in a bunch of things, and so, 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 uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I, um, of course, I'll audition. I, I am like getting, I'm, I'm like losing auditions for bank commercials, like you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, so, um, and then I would go on to do a, a, a string of bank commercials years later, but um, yeah, so, so it was just yeah. So then I literally just put myself on tape. And, um, then I got flown down to Hollywood to test for it. And it was like, I was like one of, I don't know how many it was like three, somewhere between three and six, like kind of potential leads, I think something like that. And, uh, but yeah, they flew me down and I fucking had never, I'd only ever heard of screen tests, like, and only in the context of like somebody, you know, discovering like Paul Newman or Ava Gardner or something like, like I, you know, so like screen tests just weren't really like a thing in Canada. Like you just, you did an audition and you had a call back and, uh, and then you got it or you fucking didn't, you know, the, but I, you know, so, so going to literal like 20th century Fox and like, there's, you know, murals of star Wars and the Simpsons on the stages <laughs> on the outsides of the stages and like fucking trip, man. And, um, and I was just like, don't shit the bed. Just don't shit the bed. Just don't shit the bed. Like you, you, you can figure this out, you know? And, uh, yeah. And I, and did the test, uh, went to the airport, was waiting to fly back on the red eye, back to Montreal, got a call that I like got the gig. 
and uh yeah fucking crazy man <laughs> yeah i mean it's incredibly lucky to to get for that to be your first big thing i mean not only was it a, a great show it, it obviously you know didn't last a lot like freaks and geeks another great show lasted one season but the connections that you obviously made on it you know carried through you remained part of that apatow universe you know continued collaborating with seth um you know, obviously, the next big thing I think is probably in that world is is knocked up, which was just a huge thing when it happened in in two thousand seven. You know, for me, it was it just felt instantly relatable in a way that other things hadn't. Um, what did it feel like for you to to go into that? Which was it was this sort of like all star group of guys, you know, getting to do this thing um, in this movie in in a bigger way than than they had before. Yeah, I think I was like, you know, we we were, I was psyched to just like get to do hang out with the people I got to hang. I usually would be hanging out with anyway, um, but somebody would like pay for it, and uh, you know, and then like we just basically pretend to be stoned all day, um, you know, <laughs> like that's like you know we're all we're all I'm not telling tales out of school here, like I'm blowing your minds, like we're all fucking stoners, but. Um, we were all sober as fucking shit on that movie because it's like, it's a workplace. It's, you know, so we're not like, you have to, so be, it's all, yeah. yeah, of course you have to be, and you have to smoke fake weed because like, there's a bunch of like little fucking crew who are like working hard <laughs> yeah. on their feet. All it's day, a long not, day. Not, it's a long fucking day. And by the way, they didn't like drive all the way out to, you know, uh, Northridge just to be in a house getting like a secondhand high with a bunch of fucking idiots from Canada. <laughs> so like, um, well, yeah, it was a blast. It was an absolute, uh, it was an absolute blast. Hot as fuck. It was during a heat wave. I remember that. But it's a very um, sweaty movie. Yeah. Yeah. No. No shit. Um. And uh, yeah. Terrible. Uh, terrible heat wave. But um. But yeah. No. It was a. It was an absolute blast to shoot. And it was like an, a welcome. It was a welcome change from like uh yeah pilot season shit. Um. Like because like I, at that point I was basically doing two kind of careers simultaneously. Like I was doing a bunch of, you know, uh, independent films back home. And then, and, and then to sort of, uh, justify doing that, I'd have to find like a, like a paying, good paying gig in the States. And so I was like, yeah, I, I was doing a bunch of like pilots and shit. And, um, and, uh, you know, and it, 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 it beats the fuck out of you. And I certainly put a lot of stress on myself about, you know, making sure that I, won the brag you know and uh so yeah so the idea of like getting a you know do do a sort of feature with all the bells and whistles but also where the stakes are pretty you know rel relatively low just in that i'm with people that i'm comfortable with and, and like and uh yeah so um yeah just a, a, a joy to shoot i think it's awesome that you're gonna have a kid man Think about it like this. It's just an excuse to play with all your old toys again. You know what I think you should do? Take care of it. Tell me you don't want him to get an A word. Yes, I do, and I won't say it for little baby ears over there, but it rhymes with shmushmorshin. I'm just saying, hold on, Jay, cover your ears. You should get a shmushmorshman at the shmushmorshman clinic. Ben, you cannot let these monsters have any part of your child's life, all right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there to rear your child. You hear that, Ben? Don't let him near the kid. He wants to rear your child. <laughs> yeah, there's a looseness to it as well that, you you know, it seems like a lot of it is improvised or being changed on the fly or that it is this very real relationship going on between these guys who are actually friends in real life. Is that Does that reflect what it was? Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly. The, the, 
there are an entire multiverse's worth of like versions of every scene in that movie and so like our job was to just do a billion iterations every time and just like pitch a bunch of fucking stupid jokes and hopefully one of them gets in there you know um yeah and then it was like yeah i'd go to work and then we'd rap and i'd be like uh martin um can i uh here, can I pick up the comic book I lent you? And also, can I borrow weed? And, because uh, we were fucking children, you know, like, <laughs> like, like Peter Payne's Lost Boys, um, you know, and, but just a blast, because that's what I mean. It's like, when we'd spend our, you know, my, my weekends would be with, with Martin and shit, and, and, and Seth and whoever, and so it was like, uh, yeah, it was lovely. That was followed pretty quickly by Tropic Thunder, another one yeah. of my favorites. Um, just a pretty, pretty wild good movie. movie. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty good movie. What was, that was, you know, an obviously much bigger scale in a lot of ways. Um, bigger movie stars, bigger budget, I assume. Um, what, yeah. what was that like to, to then go into that? Yeah, I don't know if it still has this uh, record, but I know that for a long time it was the most expensive R-rated comedy ever. Oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Someone must have surpassed that by now. Maybe. I'm trying to I think. Don't know. I, actually, I don't Although know. They don't um, make big budget R-rated comedies anymore, so at all. Yeah, yeah. and so um, a fucking uh, a, an absolute trip um, went 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 down from Montreal to Kauai, Hawaii. Uh, for we were there for four and a half months and then and then and then another two months in LA to do all the interiors. And um so yeah, like a big six month motherfucker and uh with in my opinion the funniest people in the world. Um and uh and potentially like on their championship team, you know, like everybody in that has been good before and after. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just but but I think we won the fucking cup with that movie. And I think that that's everybody doing their thing at the height of their abilities. And, uh, yeah, like, you know, sort of, uh, the late downy later, late career downy comeback shit where he's now like a bona fide movie star that, that was still like, he had just finished shooting Iron Man when we started shooting Tropic. Yeah. Thunder. But it so hadn't he come was, out yet. No. So he wasn't, you know, what he is and what he deserves to be. And so, so he was fucking killing it in this amazing, free and beautiful and eager way. Yeah, and something he he probably wouldn't do now with his uh, with his stature in the in the business. I don't I don't know that anybody would do that, partner. <laughs> Look, you guys, we already know the plan. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm giving you gold. We do it just like in the book, chapter twenty six, the wet offensive, the book of Tropic Thunder. Yeah, did you guys read the book? Uh, the flap. I read the back flap. It's on the pictures. Well, it, it's okay. It's exactly the same as in the script. Cool. You guys all read the script, right? I don't read the script. Script reads me. What the hell does that even mean? What you getting at with the book script? Spit that shit out, man! I... Oh, all right. The wet offensive. Osiris and Fats go undercover as a diversion. Motown and Brooklyn sneak in via the river. Yeah, but those dudes was trained soldiers. Yeah! And we trained actors, motherfucker. Fucking crazy thing to see. 
Um, and then, you know, Jack Black, as funny as he's ever fucking been. Yeah, incredible. And, and, and Steve Coogan and Danny McBride and fucking Nolte. And, uh, and like, Stiller is as funny as he's ever been in yeah, that movie. Definitely. And he's also, he, you know, co-wrote it, directed it, produced it, you know, like, and, and they were shooting the, uh, Last the, the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull thing, they were shooting that on one of the other islands at the same time. And I remember hearing that we had twice as many stunt performers as they did, which is fucking sick. You know, when you have twice as many stunt guys as an Indiana Jones movie, like, you know, you're going to do something, you see some pretty cool shit. And that movie opens with this big fuck off battle sequence. And, um, that was literally our first like two or three weeks of work. We started with that. So like my first day on set was like, all right, Huey's on approach. All right, go weapons hot. Watching, I think, yeah, 50 stunts, uh, probably like 25 extras, 25 cast, fucking loading up on, you know, all their M16s and AK-47s with flanks. Fucking actual Huey's coming in and just hell breaks loose. The fucking sickest in the thing in the world like it's if it's impossible not to get psyched up especially if you ever like love gi joe or love playing cops and robbers in the backyard or whatever like bro it was an absolute fucking super cool thing to see and to be part of coming up jay looks back on his terrible decision to try and become a movie star and later reveals that he was convinced this is the end would be a total disaster. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued, what was in Al Capone's vault, or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And you can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episodes with some of Jay's collaborators like Knocked Up director Judd Apatow and Man Seeking Woman creator Simon Rich, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Jay Baruchel. I read in another interview you did that it was around this period that you, quote, tried to become a movie star. Um, is that accurate? Does that What did that look yeah, like for you? <laughs> stupid. Um, no, it's this, like, there was this year directly following that where I had, like, five things come out in one year. Um, because, like, off of Tropic Thunder, which is, like, a DreamWorks thing, I, like, got She's Out of My League. Uh, while I was there in Hawaii, they were, like, you know, like, like literally, like, like, like off the rushes, off the dailies, they, they were, like, you know, do you want to, you know, um, do this thing? And then, also, uh, I auditioned for How to Train Your Dragon out there, uh, which was another DreamWorks thing. And, uh, and then I... Um, he did this movie back home called The Trotsky, uh, which was like a pretty, at least a, a big kind of critical and kind of cultural hit, not a, necessarily a financial one. Um, but like, yeah, and I and I was also at my most kind of piss and vinegary at like, what would I have been, 26 or something. And so I remember saying to my agent, like, let me let me get the let me read and read for and put myself on tape for whenever all the big guys are getting i'm off the floor with them but the, at least let me get in the door like you know if, if i lose it let me lose it because i'm not good enough but like i i, I want a shot and i think i really want to do this i think i'm i'm ra- i want to go for the, the 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 ring you guys have been telling me to sort of go for and um and I was told, well, you know, some of the guys you've mentioned, who I won't mention, you know, they play the game. They're in, they're all the right parties. They live down here, and you, you, you refuse to live in California. And uh, I was like, yeah, well, if that's the thing, then I then then fuck it. Um, but I, but but uh, but then also, once everything came out, started to come out. I remember gearing up for the. Um, it started with she's out of my league that you know that year, and I remember that press tour had the uh vivid sensation of being on a yeah on a roller coaster on the on the incline uh that i couldn't get off those two legs had already left the station um and it was my fault like i wasn't doing it like no nobody said you need to do this you need to try and go for the brass ring of the states you need to you know like you need to be a movie star. like nobody said that i decided it was a cha- you know and it was just like my sort of competitive whatever and um and also chipping my shoulder of like seeing guys in trailers and on billboards i was like who the fuck is this you know and um and then realizing pretty early on in that cycle that it wasn't for me <laughs> and i wanted off pretty quickly and my How, what, what made you realize that all all of it um having to have a stylist having to 
go hustle a movie in a bunch of different cities, having to have my picture taken, having to be in front of a bunch of people a lot, having to like go talk to the Hollywood foreign press, whatever, like, like all of this weird shit that was like really hard for me to do where all I wanted to do was kind of fuck off a bit, you know? Um, and, and, and I know that often that can sound sort of ungrateful or it's like, I, I adore the work and I love movies, but I was like, I love movies more than I love acting. And my acting was a way to be a part of movies. You know, movies were a chance for me to act, you know? it was, And, and, and so I just like, um, I hated all of the like, uh, yeah, I hated all the fancy shit, I guess. I just, I don't, I don't do well in crowds. I don't do well with a bunch of people staring at me. Um, I was raised to be ashamed of vanity and to spend my life playing defense against it. And, 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 and this was forcing me to think of myself in parameters that I, I thought were loathsome. Like I, I, you know, like, and, uh, so it was just like a bunch of different ways. It was really uncomfortable for me and I wanted off the fucking thing. And my mother reminded me, um, you, she said, Jay, you used to say you always like, before you went down the stage, she said, if you had a choice, you'd always want to be an actor, not a movie star. And, uh, now there's a lot of good stuff that comes from being in a bunch of big movies. You got a lot of good free shit and the, and the, and, and, and the dough is good. And, you know, and, and, and hopefully it's a means to get to work with people that you love, you, you respect and whose, whose work you love. Um, but all the same, I was like, I have to, I have to find my, I got to meet them halfway. I don't, I don't, I, I thought I wanted to be Jake Gyllenhaal and I fucking really don't. Um, and you know, no, that doesn't mean I, I, I want to do nothing, but I, I definitely don't want to do that. I, I, I'm not comfortable with doing that. And, um, and so like, uh, I think there's, there seems to be at least a like suggestion that to, to the extent that anybody cares about me or my career, there, there's the, there's a sort of like recurring thing of like, I'm back or something because <laughs> you're I'm always, coming. you're always coming back. Yeah. It's always this coming back thing. And it's like, I never fucking stopped. I just, I just didn't fucking put myself front and center in a bunch of big shit because like it was killing me. And, and I am like already, this is about as famous as I'm comfortable being. And, and uh, yeah, I wonder if a lot of it has to do with being compared to Seth Rogen, James Franco, Jonah Hill, some of these guys who have gotten become maybe bigger movie stars uh, in that, yeah. in that way. I, I think it's because a lot of people assume that everything would grow unless interfered with, that nobody would ever, nobody would ever elect to be anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, choose to be less famous. Yeah. That nobody would ever choose to be less famous, choose to be less wealthy, that nobody would, you know, like who would ever do that? Right. And, and it's like, um, well, I, I fucking would like, I, I, I have a great life in Canada and I can look after my family and I, you know, and kind of get shit going if I want to, or try to at least. But, but, um, but yeah, I think I just didn't want to be a fucking movie star. I, whatever I am now, that's kind of what I want to be. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, it seems like you were able to channel some of this stuff into, uh, your role as yourself in this is the certainly. end, yeah, um, certainly. which I have to tell you is, is really one of my all time favorite movies. I think <laughs> cool, it was thanks. even just from the, even sort of from the moment it was even announced and being talked about, I just thought the, the concept of it was so insane and it, and you guys really <laughs> pulled it off in a, in a great Thanks. way. Thank um, you. 
but yeah, you're that must have been in in this feeling of of not wanting to be a big celebrity necessarily, and then you're playing yourself in this big movie um and putting yourself out there in a way and and sort of um playing this exaggerated version of yourself in some senses. You Jay, right? Yeah. Seth boy? Yeah. Hey, how you doing, hey, man? Good, good to see you. Likewise. Likewise. Craig, man. It's Emma. Oh, hi. Hi there. Did you just in town visiting him? Or yeah. What? Just a her little little visit, you know. I try to not come down here very much. I don't really love it here. You don't like LA? I'm just not really into the LA lifestyle. What lifestyle are you into? Look at him, he's like he's like a hipster, right? No, no. No, I'm not a hipster at all. Yeah, yeah. You do seem to hate a lot of things. And the bottom of your pants are awful tight. No, I, I just, I don't like Los Angeles. That's it. That doesn't make me a hipster. I bet you hate movies that are universally loved. I, I don't even. You like Forrest Gump? No, no. It's a horrendous piece of shit. Life uh, is like a box of chocolates, no? Yeah, no. I'm, I'm familiar with it. You never know what you're gonna get. What were your feelings about doing that? Was there any hesitation to, to do that? Yes, loads of it. I was convinced it was going to be awful. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I like, cause like basically it's based on this like short that Seth and I did a long time ago called Jay and Seth versus the apocalypse. And right, so for yeah. years, for years there, we had been trying to get it going as a movie and, you know, um, and then there was this idea of like filling it with this like cannonball run in a rogues gallery of fucking famous people. And I was like, well, who the fuck wants to see that? Like, it's, I was like, it's going <laughs> to. It's going to be like an MTV movie award sketch for two hours. Like I, you know, um, yeah, which it could have been <laughs> very easily. And, and in fact, on set, I was bloody convinced it was going to be terrible. Um, yeah. And I had to eat a bunch of crow about it, which is good because I'd rather be in a good movie than a bad movie. I wouldn't, I don't want to just for the sake of being proven right to be in a <laughs> shitty movie would be fucking terrible. So, um, but yeah, I thought I thought the world doesn't love rich people and it really doesn't love a lot of famous people. And so talking about being rich and famous a bunch will probably make a lot of people fucking hate us. Yeah. And, although uh, although we do see you all get punished, or most of you. So that correct. That's, there's a catharsis there too, I think. There there certainly is. Um I also like I was also real crabby throughout that whole movie. And um and like again, not tailing tales out of school, I don't think, but like yeah, Jonah and I don't get along super well, or at least didn't back then. <laughs> which, think, which, yeah. com- which comes through on screen. Yeah, it's no part fucking of the film, shit yeah. it does. Yeah, no fucking shit. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and also it was this like weird thing of like mining personal shit. Yeah, that's intense. Not, I mean, <laughs> not, but, but not for catharsis, mining it just for comedy. So, so mining it in, in the most like, um, yeah, just like commoditized capitalist way of like we're gonna we're gonna dread we're gonna dig up dig up real personal shit but nobody's gonna go home feeling better about it we're just gonna like turn it into a fucking product and so i was, well, was like it, what about the relationship with seth i mean that's pretty certainly you know, that was one of those that's, that a, was that's one intense of and it's and, but do you feel like there was was there any part of working through it in the film that was helpful no because we never talked about <laughs> any of the real shit no yeah. like it never came up for real um, because, because we're still sort of like, um, yeah, we're both 1982 kids, which means that, you know, we were raised in a great misogynistic tradition of not talking about shit. And, uh, especially like two boys and ever, you know, we're not going to fucking, you know, we did what well, air grievances. Like we could be mad at each other and say that, um, but it's like, 
very rare to be kind of like vulnerable. He, you know, not for a long time anyway. So, so yeah, that was weird. That was a fucking weird thing to be doing. Yeah. With like, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be solved it? by a, a Backstreet Boys dance party. Um, but, but, you know, I saw the first rough cut. I was like, oh, holy fuck, this is funny as fuck. And <laughs> fucking Jonah's very good in it. That's how, that's when I, that's when I knew it was a good movie was when I was like laughing at Jonah's shit that like I, you know, that I never once found funny on, on set. And then in the movie, I was like, actually, I found myself laughing. Yeah, that, so scene, I had to, that's, that scene where he's like uh, giving you extra compliments and telling you how much he, he enjoys you. Is that Jay Bear show? Oh, there. Hey. Oh, my God. Come in here, here, Jonah. What are you doing? Good. How are you doing, oh buddy? Oh, my gosh. Welcome back. Thank you very much. <laughs> when did you get in? Uh, this morning, and uh, boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's great. Thank you. Sick. What have you guys been doing? Oh, we just hung out all day. Uh, ate a bunch of dirty burgers and smoked about a fucking pound of weed and played a bunch <laughs> of video games. Weed is tight. Weed is tight. That's awesome. That's awesome. Weed yeah. is awesome. It's like the golfing sequence in Navy Seals. Sick reference, though, bro. Oh, thanks, bud. Dude, your references are out of control. Everyone knows that. Hey, dude. thanks, man. You didn't find that funny in the moment? Not even fucking kind of, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just, yeah, it sucked. And so watching it, and and giving him love like in my heart of hearts and then to everybody who would ask that's how i i i'm I'm trying to say that like that's how convinced i am it's a good movie that i was i was dead set in my beliefs that it was a bunch of wanky inside baseball bullshit um uh and that it just wasn't working and uh and seth and evan made a special movie that was really fucking funny and all the performances sing and i was i was proving wrong my experience necessarily wasn't necessarily wrong. Like, I'm not saying I wasn't justified in being annoyed sometimes, but what I'm saying was all my assumptions about it were wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to touch on uh, Man Sinking Woman, too, because that's uh, another one of my favorites. We had Simon Rich Thanks. on this podcast a while ago oh, cool. and talked a lot about it. Um, and that was sort of going back to TV after a long time for you. Yeah. I'm talking about the comeback, another comeback. Back to TV, um, but uh, in a much more unconventional way than you know a network uh, show, even a even a good network show. Um, did you feel a, a sort of instant connection to Simon Rich's writing and and relate to it? And that is that part yeah. of what, what made you really want to do that one? Yeah, I, um, I I well man, now I can say this, and and you know, so, sometimes God like winks at you and gives you a second chance, you know, and um. I passed on it originally and, uh, yeah, fucked. And, uh, I, cause I was trying to get this other thing of my own going that, uh, you know, um, and I passed without like reading it because I knew I had a feeling I would dig it. And so I just was like, I can either put my attention into this thing or I can try to finish, I can finish, uh, you know, th th this fucking garden that I've been building myself, you know, and, um, and, and, and my garden went to pot to shit and uh i guess uh, i stuck the landing on that analogy hopefully um <laughs> but uh but then like they hadn't found their guy so he came back around to me and my manager was like um read the book read the book it's based on it's based on a collection of short stories um and uh he goes like do you have anything to do that today i said no he's like it'll take you maybe three hours just read the whole thing and so i did and i burned through it and like Halfway through the first story, I was like, oh, fuck, this is a guy that I need to work with. By the end of it, I was like, are you sure they haven't found their guy, man? Like, because, like, you know, 
And then I got sent the, 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 the pilot script and I like adored it. And then, um, yeah. And then we were like, uh, got to make this really special thing in Toronto. And it kind of like was part of the reason, part of my like moving there, uh, from Montreal was like getting to like experience that town or, you know, properly. And, uh, and I fell in love with it. And, um, and I was like, at every step of the way thought to like, uh, grownups were going to come and, and, and unplug the, the Nintendo. Like I thought, you know, we do a pilot, but there's no way we're going to do a series. Yeah, I mean, we, it's a pretty we weird a whole, show. Yeah. It's fucking bonkers, man. And, and, and after the end of the first season, I was like, well, that was fun, but there's no way we're doing a second. And at the end of the second, I was like, there's no way we're doing the third. In the third, we were like, it's probably actually going to end now. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we've gotten away with murder for a long time. Um, and, but, but God, we made something special. It was, again, it was a kind of an undeclared thing of like, nobody on, the majority of people, uh, or at least the majority of the actors and writers and directors on the set of Undeclared, were all, we were all bloody convinced that it was the best show on TV. Um, very similar kind of thing uh, on Man Seeking Woman. Um, we knew nobody knew we existed, but we knew we were making the best TV show out there. She rejected me on the very couch that earlier that afternoon I had helped her move. So I ask you, please consider my bill. Because in my America, fair is fair. Thank you. So you want us to enact a law that would require women to date nice guys? Yes. Interesting. Seems rather reasonable. Nice guys uh, being rewarded uh, for being nice guys. And the girl would get something out of it. She'd get to be with the nice guy. Well, you have a pretty high-profile uh, TV comeback coming up with uh, with Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger. Is that right? Crazy. Yes, it is right. It's fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. What Fubar. was he like to work yeah. with? Fubar. I absolutely, I, I, absolutely lovely. Absolutely lovely. And there's like again a 1982 boy. You know, whoever whoever is the most famous movie star when you're like nine through twelve, that's your favorite ever. And for me, that was him. And uh, and we shot it, shot it. I'm number twelve in the call sheet. They shot it, and <laughs> I got to be there. Um, but they 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 shot it uh, like eight minutes from my house in Toronto. And the dream. Uh, fuck no shit. Is it any, like is it ever the dream? Like. And he wiped a booger off my face, like you know, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty crazy. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, so now uh, it's time for our segment called the first laugh. So we're going to run through a, f- a few of these uh, questions about your life and career around comedy, starting with the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid growing up. Uh, Ghostbusters uh, and uh, Mr. Bean. Mm, two good ones, yeah. Um, do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, to, I mean, I think a lot of people don't think I'm funny, but I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I remember I would like at my grandmother's house stand on the coffee table and, and moonwalk. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that, and you that got destroyed. Laughs. Yeah. That destroyed. Yeah. Um, do you, is there, are there, is there an audition story from your career that really stands out? Um, either because it didn't go well or um, went really well or something that, that just you remember um, an audition story. It could be something you got or something you didn't get. Yeah. Um, anything. 
<laughs> all I only remember the really scary, bleak, dark ones that like will take this. Yeah, it'll be a pretty hard <laughs> pivot. You know, it's a little bit anxiety disorder and uh, and predators. I'm trying to think of a good one, a good funny one. It doesn't have to be funny, but up to you. I auditioned for Danny Boyle um, for Sunshine. And I remember I had a really bad anxiety disorder that was undiagnosed at the time. And so I would have, I was like averaging like half a dozen panic attacks a day and just didn't know what the fuck was happening to me. And I like sat down before him and he like found out I was from Montreal. So he was like, he was like, oh my God, Godspeed you Black Emperor. My movie 28 Days Later is the first movie that they've ever given a piece of music to. And oh, you're wearing a Celtic jersey. Oh, good man. And, uh, so like he was like jamming like we were connecting in a meaningful fucking way. I started freaking out and I was like, I had to go to the washroom. And I ran to the washroom and like just like it's like splashing water in my face and slapping myself and did no idea what this was. And um and going back to horrible, the yeah. to, to to the audition room, I like literally couldn't grab the doorknob and had to like with I had to force with my left, force my <laughs> oh, right no. onto the doorknob. And then went in and did possibly the worst audition I've ever said. I did an ad like Micro Machines guy speed. Remember the, the, yeah, the guy that yeah, would talk yeah. super fat? Or John at least Machina? it felt that way to you. Certainly, I'm sure it played that way too. I, I, there, was, there was no callback for fucking sunshine. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, another like tells you how old I am is like, I don't think kids hear this. Sh- Hopefully kids don't hear this shit anymore. I think, uh, which is like multiple times. I would like work really, really hard. Like I remember I can, I'll fucking, I'll name the movie because fuck this dude for saying this shit. But like I auditioned for, uh, wedding crashers and, um, and I, and I worked really hard on this, this part. And I, and I, which, and I, which I role to, was it? I never saw the movie, so I can't, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just fuck, fuck that director, but, uh, um, or, or fuck that casting director, whoever said the yeah. thing I'm going to tell you, right, which is, right. which was, uh, oh, great read. He was off book, really funny, made us a great read, too Jewish looking. Oh my God. You're too Jewish looking and too ethnic looking. I was like, you know, you can just think that. You don't have to fucking say that shit. Because by the way, like, I look the same as I did when you sent me the fucking sides to audition. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, all of a so sudden pre- you, you think that? Yeah. yeah pre- presumably you knew what I looked like before you made me degrade myself and go on tape for you. Right? Like, so yeah, I never had a shot then. So, so then like, what the fuck That's is any of this? Yeah. Like it is, man. And it just is like, I would have, I'd love those two days back because I beat the fuck out of myself and took it real serious and tried hard and like came in with curiosity and inspiration and all, like I really tried to make it a thing and none of it mattered because, you know, of my, my dad's ethnicity basically, you know? So, um, so yeah, anyway. Well, it is not, a pretty, not, it is a pretty funny movie. You should see it sometime. Okay. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what about the first time that you met one of your comedy heroes, uh, someone who you just really looked up to in the comedy world and, and what it was like to meet them for the first time? Yeah. I, I, I scared Eric Idle. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, I was lined up for a movie at a theater where him and, uh, Terry Jones had just done a, uh, a, a, a like Q and a thing. And so they were like escorted out and put into their van um, and I like, was like, holy fuck. Cause my parents raised me to love Monty Python. And so I, I like, I, I like stared at him smiling and I waved and he like smiled back at me and I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest. Um, and then he got into his van and it didn't leave for another 10 minutes. And so I just stared at him and he was like, <laughs> now like sort of like trying to, trying to just pretend he didn't notice this fucking weird kid staring at him, but he kept like doing double takes and noticing me and like, this is fucked. And I was like, oh. 
he hates <laughs> did you ever meet him after that never once <laughs> um finally uh is there a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now but really was not funny when it happened <laughs> yeah uh then all of it man <laughs> um, the whole career the whole fucking thing yeah um that 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 to me is the like sort of one of the big kind of recurring themes of now being in 41 uh is um i took everything so fucking seriously and and made the stakes so fucking high the whole time um that i can like now go go back and think about how like insane all of it is you know um like like my first day to say it on on million dollar baby i have to use the n-word in a scene with morgan freeman like oh my god <laughs> fucked. Yeah, i could see how that was not funny at the time fuck i was like so stressed you know and oh god but but now you one year old dude i could like look back at this like 23 year old kid who just like wanted everybody to love him who was just like this is happy and and like i'm on i'm to this day, those are the only guys I've ever like worked with, or four, I should say. I don't. I worked for Clint Eastwood. Um, those are the only guys that, if my granddad was still alive, he would have be, be be impressed by. You know, like you know, my my I I've worked with a lot of great people, but you know, my granddad didn't know who uh, Lona Scherfig or David Cronenberg uh, were, or uh, you know, any of these pretty pretty special talented filmmakers that I got to spend time with and got to create with or Cameron Crowe or Judd Apatow or Ben Stiller, but fucking Clint Eastwood is Clint Eastwood, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, now it's pretty special. That's the other yeah. one. Now yeah, Schwarzenegger. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You got yeah. another one. Uh, well, Jay, thank you so much for doing this. And, um, thank you. as I said, I've been a fan of your work for a really long time and, um, Thanks. I think the new movie is really great. So I hope people check it out. Thanks so much for having me, man. This was lovely. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you again to Jay Baruchel for being my guest on this week's show. Blackberry is currently playing in theaters, and you can also look out for Jay in FUBAR opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger, streaming on Netflix starting May 25th. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.